And as usual, Greg's looking at memes. Yes. I'm going to take my glasses off. I don't need them. But how will you see? Are they your glasses or are they... um, Those are my bifocals. Are they like one of the... Those are my bifocals. Five pairs I gave you in 2023. Did you actually give me a pair of glasses? Dude, you gave me one pair of glasses. Don't give me... Mm, I gave you more than one. False. I want to I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want receipts. Because I can think of two specific times right now. When you loaned me a pair to read with, but not... You gave me one pair. When was that? It was recently, like in the last six months. When? Where? I, don't, I think it was at your house. Okay. Yeah. And then, then there was another time. That you loaned me a pair to put to read something with real quick. So all I know is that in my car, there was a oh, phone. burn. You got me. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think I love it. There was, there was a five pack and there's not five pair in there anymore. Fair. Fair dinkum. That's Nor twice. are there four. Twice. No, there was only two. Nor are no. there three. I've not been in your car that many times. Well, uh, but I've retrieved them for you. No. Uh, nope, do you remember? Was, do you nope. remember that time in my nope. garage, uh, nope. working on a table? You also needed glasses then, mm. and I retrieved I, a pair of glasses for stop. you. Stop! I did not steal your glasses. Um, no, you. I'm just. Nope. They're cheap readers from the CVS. Uh, if you want the six dollars, can I say CVS? You. Would Walgreens get upset? Are they one of our sponsors yet? Walgreens. Not yet. Walgreens. Not yet. I don't know. I get mine from Walmart. Okay. They're cheaper. Well, they're expensive at Walgreens anyway. and CVS. Probably almost double the price. Yeah, well, cheapest of all would be from Greg. Mm. If you're concerned about stop, that sort of thing. Stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I've been getting free glasses. You're going to blow my system. You could go to the Lions open. Club or you could go to Greg, one of the two. <laughs> the only problem with the Lions Club ones, I've tried that. So I've got a lot of. Where, they get a lot of this? scratches. No, I haven't. I haven't. I would never steal. Do they have poor the Lions Club in Japan? I would never steal poor people's glasses. Mm. They might have a, Ryan, for, a Ryan's Club. Thank you for not considering me to be poor. Did you just say Ryan's Club? Did I? I don't think so. I think I heard that. I think I did. So yeah, last time we ended. Yeah, last time we ended, kind of just trailing off into the woods, not really knowing where we were going, because we had this article uh, called, shoot, what was it called? Yeah, why why I quit the ministry? Why I quit the ministry? Right. We had an article called "Why I Quit the Ministry." We kind of engaged in an ad hoc conversation about it, and it went way wider and deeper than we thought it was going to. That go. wasn't the title of it, just so you know. Oh, what is it? No, okay. sorry. What was the name? Of it? I ruined your whole take. Oh, dang it! <laughs> dang it, Dave! <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I didn't think you would just wholesale quote me. Uh, you should know better than to believe Dave. We've already proven him wrong several times. Oh my goodness, it never ends. Uh, let's see, where am I going here? It was in our show notes. Yep. Was it? Yeah. Is it today's show notes? Yeah. Did you not read them, Chad? <sighs> Chad GPT wrote those things. I don't know what's going on. Confession. 
Here I was impressed. So the name of the article was Departure, Why I Left the Church by Mr. Alexander Lang. And apparently this uh, this article had a lot more reach than I realized. It's quoted and refuted and quoted and praised in a number of other blogs and everything. Uh, but this uh, this departure, why I left the church, it brings up some very good points as to why um, pastors are leaving the church mm-hmm. uh, across denominations, really. M- many of the uh, issues that he brings up are pretty prevalent in a lot of different church settings and in you know, it's it's pretty common. Yeah, we left off last time not with a terribly good finish, uh, but we we kind of we left it off as good as we could. The editing room floor looked a little interesting afterwards, but uh, basically we we kind of ended up approaching, but not really engaging on the idea that there's two possible um, ways to attack the problem of the great pastoral resignation. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we look. We talked a lot about systemic issues. But we didn't really touch on uh, local issues and how uh, we can kind of overcome the great pastoral resignation. What can we do ourselves? What can a local church do? Uh, what can an individual believer in a in a local church do? Uh, this episode will be kind of tidying up there and looking at the systemic issues and local issues in the great pastoral resignation and kind of continuing to dive in on departure, why I left the church. Yeah. So um, if it's okay, I'd like to, us to each kind of share a little bit more of our background because I think if we were just two guys in our living room, or I guess, sorry, there are three of us. If there was just three of us in our living room who don't come from the backgrounds, mm-hmm. you might kind of wonder, well, why are these guys talking about this? So I think each of us bring kind of a unique background. So if you don't mind, I'll jump in. So I had the privilege for about 10 years of my life teaching at a Bible college where we were training people to become pastors, youth pastors, missionaries, um, Christian school teachers. And during that time, I, I was basically teaching Bible and New Testament and, and, um, and Greek. So, but during that time, because we were dealing with training people who were going into ministry, I got to sit basically three to five days a week at lunch with people who were either had spent a number of years in ministry before coming to the college and teaching pastoral ministries or people who still were or had come in to speak in chapel. And so it was a real great time for me of really reflecting on scriptures and ministry. And even though I have not spent any significant time in pastoral ministry, a lot of my thoughts on this are going to come from the more the theological side. And I do think those are significant, but I don't I don't have the personal experience of walking through the dark moments in ministry, at least not in pastoral ministry. So that's my background. Uh, and so a lot of my conversation is going to be more about the systemic issues and then thoughts from scripture, but not necessarily thoughts from experience. So okay. that's my background. Now, I do have to ask: mm-hmm. Is that all of your background, Dave? No, I know what you're. I know what you're trying to get me to say. <laughs> so I did grow up on the mission field, but I'm not going to say where because then okay. you'll ring a bell because you've gotten me to say it. Close enough. Ding ding ding. See, not fair. Yeah, I didn't say Japan. Oh, there you go. See, I did that just for you guys, so you could legitimately ring the bell. Missionary ministry is not pastoral North American, you know, Western ministry. And yeah, it is ministry. It is full-time. I 100- see what my parents went through. Yep. 
and I did see some of those stresses and toils. And just so that we always get, I always get teased for being the old guy. I am a Gen X, proudly so. I'm not a boomer. I'm Gen X, and but I am the oldest one in this group. So, and I that it probably is worthwhile talking about. But I came out of a movement that was fairly legalistic. I remember some of the battles that you guys don't remember from what we've what I can remember of our conversations where I came back to the States when people were arguing over, is, is it godly to hold a microphone when you do a solo in church? Is it okay not to have live music? Should you have, is it, is it godly to have taped music with background music in it? Mm-hmm. So I've been through the worship wars. You know, for me, I, I, initially, I'll be honest, I was a little bit enamored or tempted to be enamored with the church growth movement and like the high bulls. And I actually graduated from high school 30 minutes away from, from Willow Creek Community Church and visited once. And there was, there was something refreshing about that as somebody coming from a legalistic background. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't take long if you have any kind of discernment for the alarm bells to start to go off. And so, so I, I've seen that really through from the beginning of that into the modern era. And so th- that kind of colors my thinking on these topics as well. So, okay. All right. I'll go next. Uh, my background is I was born and raised an atheist, came to faith in my early 20s. And I ended up being a very uh, gung-ho believer right out of the gate. And in my mid-20s, I took a job, a low-level administrative job in a church. Uh, at the time, it was a small church. And I did that for three years. It was very informative. I actually ended up running the college ministry, probably out of convenience for the church <laughs> more than anything. But I, I was already there as an as a office professional, and hey, he looks like he knows his way around, and probably a little early to be doing that. But I ran college ministry in a college town for most of those three years, okay. and that was extremely informative. And you know, it was a small church, so fewer than. 400 people at the time. Just for the record, that's not a small church. But yeah, small, small, small compared to what to it is now. Sizes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to what it is now, it's very small. But it, I got to know the pastor and associate pastor very well, got to know a lot of people very well. Uh, fast forward 10-ish years, and uh, they need a tech director, and I was fairly disgruntled at my job. That I had at the time, and so I took the pay cut and the extra commute, and it was tech director for two years. Much bigger now, and much different. Doubling in size created some issues. It was pretty exhausting emotionally. Um, there were some big personalities uh, running amok, and I'm not going to say it was a bad experience. I'm just going to say that I left by choice. It was probably a good thing that I did because I didn't have much runway left there. So um, uh, nothing but, you know, good good things to say about that church now, if anyone can figure out which church it is. They're huge now. They, I think they've tripled in size. Mm. And they've got two satellite campuses now, and I'm very happy for them. They've played their cards right and came out of a somewhat tenuous time in a very healthy way. And have shown a lot of resilience. Well, I was saved when I was 16. And uh, I went to Bible college. 
and then uh, ended up at a, a church in a, uh, a medium-sized city, and I was the youth pastor, and then I ended up being the pastor there, and I was there for almost 20 years. The thing about this church is that they had had a senior pastor who was there for 26 years. In the late 50s, he left and didn't prepare them for his leaving, and they never got over that. Wait, did you say the late 50s? Late 50s. Okay. 50s. His around, 50s, like his age or the 1950s? No, 1950s, around okay. when you were born, I think. Nope. Mm. That's a so, long time uh, <laughs> before I was born. I'm a Gen X. <laughs> so, um, so from that point, they had never had a pastor who was there for more than four years. Wow. And they always did national searches. So this was a denomination where the the, indi- the individual local church was autonomous. So the denomination did not pick mm-hmm. and send pastors um, to the local church. The local church could ask the denomination for help, and and they did that, and they would do searches, and often they would choose a past somebody from the denomination, but it was a national search, and they didn't have a pastor stay for more than four years. Um, their 10 years were like four years, three years, two years. Mm. Four years, four years, three years, four years, one year. I would call that a meat grinder church. <clears throat> yeah, it was. They had this this man who had been the pastor for 26 years. They had him on a pedestal up there with the Apostle Paul and Peter and Jesus himself. And nobody could measure up to this man. And nobody was ever good enough. And that pattern persisted. And I came in the early 2000s as the youth pastor. And I was the youth pastor for nine years um, through three different senior pastors. And then I ended up being the pastor for another just shy of 10 years. So in one sense, I kind of broke that pattern, but it also was very difficult. So I got to see a lot of like from the, from the church perspective um, of how uh, the local church views a pastor, how they treat a pastor, what they expect of a pastor and, and what they expect of the, of the people in the congregation, how they prepare them and train them and, and it wasn't just this church. It was this whole town. It was such a hard area. And it was such a, um, a hireling attitude that the people considered pastors to be hirelings. They, they hired them from across the country, brought them in, and expected them to perform at, uh, at maximum potential. And when they didn't, regardless of their families, regardless of circumstances, they just canned them and moved on to the next one. And meat grinder is the word you used, and that's what it was like. Yeah, and I remember some of your conversation from our last time, and I wasn't trying to bring up bad memories for you, but I think it's helpful for for those who are listening Mm -hmm. to to know that we're we're coming out with this with very different but relevant experiences to talk about this conversation. Like, what do we do about this? And there's like the local church has to accept responsibility. Mm -hmm. The institutions have to accept responsibility. So what does that look like and, and how do we yeah. move forward from there? Yeah, so I mean, I, I know we're going to talk about the individual responsibility of both congregants and, and people who are pastors. 
But I, I, I think it's a very deeply systemic issue and theological. And I think there's a couple of different things that I think would really be healthy to change. And this is actually why I'm no longer at a Bible college. I transitioned out, and I'm not saying that I thought exactly what I thought now than when I left, but this was this kind of a burgeoning thoughts about it that have congealed since. But I was becoming very disenchanted with the Bible college movement, not insofar as the content of what we were delivering to students, because I think um, we were delivering a very good biblical, biblical content and theological content and ministry content. The problem was twofold. One, the, the, just the whole full separation from the local church. And in my particular movement, it was not, it, rather than the biblical model of bringing up men from within the church and older men teaching younger women, older women teaching younger women, and then developing this discipleship model that we've, we've talked about in different ways, mm-hmm. even early on in this podcast. But um, that being the model, and then from there you raise godly men who will become your elders, and now you have people whose flaws you know, so you know they're human, and but you also know them, and so you care for them in a way, right, if you're doing this properly. And they've invested in your life, so you're invested in them because they've invested in you. And so I, I think the church abrogated its responsibility to train its own leaders, and they passed it off to the Bible college movement because the Bible college movement and the seminary movement it seems to me that they the credibility of an education was why you did it at a college, mm-hmm. right? So you could have a degree that meant you were qualified. I, I think that that was a mistake. So to to kind of bring this full circle, you take kids who are sixteen to maybe fifteen to eighteen years old, and you take them to a retreat, and you pump them full of sugar, and you keep them up late, and you exercise them more than half of them are used to exercising. Then you put them in three services, and you have the best speaker ever who can just get them riled up emotionally and say, "Are you called into ministry?" And then because of that one experience at a camp, somebody feels like they have to go off and jump into the ministry. How do you know you're an elder? like you're a qualified elder at 18, 16, 17 years old. So you're called, in air quotes, so you go off to a Bible college and then you get four years of Bible college and then you're said, okay, you're ready for ministry or not, you go to seminary. And you completely take them out of the local church. Yes, there's some involvement, but you're so busy being a college student that you don't have a lot of time to be involved. And you have five chapels a week, so church isn't as meaningful because you have five chapels a week, and it's easy to get those two things confused. And I just felt like we were actually damaging the church in the long run. We were feeding a lot of really good people, really good information, really good spiritual content. Half of them never went into ministry, which didn't bother me. But most of them weren't really elder qualified anyways when they started. They're 24-year-old kids, 22-year-old kids that go off and be pastors. And they're not elders. They haven't lived long enough to in our culture to understand that. They've been adolescents right before going into ministry. So that's my really opinionated take on it. But that's, I think that's part of the problem is that we've abrogated that responsibility. Now, the elder stuff, we can talk more about if you want to later, but I'd like to hear you guys' perspective on the, the education stuff. But Yeah, and I think um, we, we kind of 
tend to professionalize everything and think that we we can't do things that we really can do. A lot of people think that we could never successfully teach our children and we have to send them to a school when we really could adequately teach our children oftentimes a lot better and more efficiently than we can sending them to a public school for six to seven hours a day. We could we could teach them what they need to know in two and a half to three hours a day. Religious education, we think that we just can't teach that or we can't learn that. Or um, I, I used to get so frustrated. I remember this one man, the world could turn and look at him and think that he was such a good man. And he was 80 something years old and his father was a pastor and his father's father was a pastor. And so that meant like he was raised in church. He was born in church, raised in church, went to Sunday school. He was there all the time. And he, and which means he was there Sunday morning, Sunday school, church service, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every special prayer meeting, probably all kinds of revival meetings, yet his biblical knowledge was so shallow. And we would we would get into um, deeper discussions of theology, and, and he would just say, I don't know why we need to try to understand that. Isn't it just a, enough to know that we're saved? And, and I'm thinking, what a, what a waste. How you can reasonably, you've been sitting, hopefully, under the instruction of the word, for 70 years, and you don't understand it. And my conclusion, like, well, the conclusions you could draw are, are you just were not never saved, or, or they're just deceived. Or, or I think of my own children, and I honestly don't know how we did it, or what we did that was special, because we didn't sit and have these Bible studies with my kids and devotionals. And I said that in the last episode, um, it's just that they came and they sat and they listened and they were they were expected to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And they um, we reached a point where we didn't have children in Sunday school. And they sat in with the adults in Sunday school and they asked questions and they got answers and they learned. And and when I hear adults who say, you know, we can't expect people to understand this or and I just I just think, why not? Why can't we teach people? Why can't we set a standard that, that we expect that when kids have been through our Sunday school, that they're going to know this, that when they finish by the time they're 18, that they're going to know this, that somebody who is saved and a believer after five years of being involved in our church ministry, they're going to have these fundamental um, tools and this fundamental knowledge uh, of the truths of scripture. Like, why don't we have these expectations? And I think it's because we we don't understand the power of the word of God. Uh, we don't understand, we, we just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. We doubt the authority of scripture. We doubt the inerrancy of God's word. Yeah, and I think that that was probably for me the big discernment point with the with the church growth movement is the tendency within that movement to downplay doctrine. Right. Um, and then it just becomes about like, we have to do what whatever we can what to get do. people to come. Right. 
and now it's turned into fill your church with unsaved people and maybe they can be part of our church and maybe they'll get saved along the way. Right. Right. That's the latest fad within that movement. So, Mm -hmm. which is just not biblical. Yeah. So thankfully, like, I just want to be, when I'm 90, I want to be that guy in the church that's winsome and people go, if you want to know an answer to a question about the Bible, go talk to that guy and he'll just make you think. And he'll go, you know, that one time I was reading that and, and you know, I was thinking about that with this passage and then I thought about that passage and connects. And um, there's a great video somewhere on the YouTube, the, the internet, where they talk about the Bible as meditative literature. It's actually a fairly discreet body of literature. It's not... It's not like a shelf full of books. It's actually a very small, self-contained, small section of books, right? In your lifetime, through repeated reading, you can you can meditate on that and make connections. And I think that's on top of that, we have the Spirit of God in us to help right. us. So I think I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Yeah, so there you get the personal responsibility mm-hmm. and people will spend hours in a week listening to podcasts and watching uh, streaming videos and doom scrolling through whatever app they've got on their phone or mm-hmm. or watching their Netflix or, or whatever it may be. Reasonably, the average reader can spend 15 to 20 minutes a day reading and read through the Bible in a year. And if you did that and you read through the Bible, in 10 years, you would have read the Bible from cover to cover 10 times. Yeah. And then you add to that, like, just a like a moderate Bible study, and there's no reason why you wouldn't be beginning to master large portions of Scripture, um, and and having a really deep understanding of it. So that's the personal responsibility part of it. But then I think of like the church that I was at, and when you had pastoral turnover every like two years, three years, five years. So what's happening with the teaching ministry there? New pastor comes in, the people in power sit the new pastor down and say, this is what we need to do. So they start teaching along this line, whatever. These are the problems we need to fix. Then he's gone. Then they start over again, and they start over again. Mm -hmm. And there's never a systematic teaching of the Scripture, teaching through the Scripture. One of the things, and people can get caught up on a lot of things about John MacArthur. One of the things I admire about him is he set out to teach through the entire New Testament, every single verse of the New Testament. And he accomplished that in his ministry. And along the way, he probably touched about every page of the Old Testament. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he could have done it a bit faster. I don't know. (laughs) Perhaps a little bit. (laughs) You know, that joke about John MacArthur. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Second word. (laughs) First syllable. That's about right. But yeah. uh, but and his his um his commitment to just teaching the word verse by verse mm-hmm. by verse from the beginning to the end and not getting caught up in in fads and in church growth movements and and it it would have to be just a monumental national issue to pull him away from what he was preaching. To, to have him address it like he did for COVID. He, he may have done it for one or two other things, but... He had a really great message on the, the lessons <clears throat> from the fall of Jimmy Swaggart. 
Yeah. But, but that was rare. Right. It was it was yeah. rare. And that was saturated him, with scripture too. It was rare for him to to jump on the issues of the moment because scripture touches all of the issues that will arise. Yeah. And because he was always teaching scripture, he was always addressing whatever issues would arise. And I think that's great. And can you imagine, like, so Martin Luther takes the 95 thesis and nails it to the wall, which was great. Could you imagine, like, coming up with a document and saying that if you are a truly born-again believer, that when you are in this church taking every opportunity that we are going to offer you, that in three years you will know this. Some churches are working on that. Does it include, like... um, 10 steps to a healthy marriage. I'm not sure I like that level of sarcasm, <laughs> level of sarcasm in that one. Three ways to financial freedom. Yeah. So let's, can we, can we tie this back into our, I'll allow our it. topic? Cause <laughs> it's, re- it's super relevant, even though it feels yeah. like may, it might feel like some people mm. that were going astray here. Well, they were talking about problems with pastors quitting. I think the point we're saying is that we've abrogated our responsibility as churches to develop our own leadership within, from within. And so you have this, there's nothing more continuous in terms of, or, you know, continuity and leadership than bringing your own leadership up. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you never bring someone in from the outside. I think those occasions happen probably too much right now, because, but that's a systematic theological issue at, at our churches that we're not doing that. But, um, we should be bringing up men from within and, and to to take leadership within the church. And if that's in order for that to happen, we need the church to be teaching sound doctrine and teaching sound biblical theology and teaching you know great applicational preaching that's text based, preferably expository. Yes. So, yeah. So that and I I'm with you 100. Let, let's let's get back to the church educating itself and not passing this off to other people. and But I also think that means, okay, if we're serious about that, we probably need to take advantage of like Bible colleges and seminaries mm-hmm. and be mentoring men and then finding ways for them to stay as local as possible. And there may be certain occasions where they're like, hey, you know, I've got 15 years of good ministry left. I, I can't stick around a local church in order to become a Bible translator. I need to go off and get my training and go. I get that. So I'm not saying there's no exceptions to this. But um, I'm currently meeting regularly with a couple of guys who are in online classes preparing to go into ministry, but they've chosen to stay at their local church to be involved so that they can not lose touch and not go through that bombardment with theological education so much that they lose touch with reality, which is a real strong possibility when you do that. Yeah. I almost feel like you've got this kind of mess with local churches, denominations, and seminaries inadvertently working together to kind of perpetuate this kind of hireling Mm -hmm. uh, situation. Uh, I I almost feel like all three need to put stakes in the ground where the local church, the governance of the local church, we need a new pastor. Okay. Why would we do an external search? You, you should have to have like an act of Congress to start a pastoral search. I would like 15 to 50 years from now, that to be the case. If the Lord tarries, as my grandfather used to say, if the Lord tarries, I'd like to see the system changed. Yeah. And seminaries, 
need to hold the churches accountable yeah. too. And like, I'll give my seminary some credit. Yeah. They realized that there was a disconnect between seminary education and doing pastoral ministry. We were required for the Master of Divinity to do a full, full academic year internship at a local church. And I think that was an attempt to start to get back to where we needed to be. But I still think that's too much time away. Yeah. I still think that's too disconnected from the local church. Sounds, sounds kind of like it. And then also the denominations need to, need to pony up too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, Oh, we need a new pastor. The denomination had better be saying, who are you going to pick from within? Mm -hmm. And if you have to do an external search, why? Right. What are you doing wrong? That yeah. you've not trained up anyone that's suitable to, you know, maybe get a little bit of extra education and take over. Yeah. And, and you realize people there? out there are going, you guys are insane. Yes. Because what we're saying is this needs to be like an atomic level shift. This like yeah. needs to be um, a complete like, okay, the watershed moment where, you know, the water drops on the east side of the Continental Divide, it's going into the Mississippi. If it divides on the west side, it's going all the way to Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. And that's how big a divide this is. And it, 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 it can't happen in two years. No. Right. And so, Lord willing, so we'll I think one do of the this things, from this podcast. Yeah. One of the things that you need to look at, too, is that there are a lot of small churches that have no resources. They, they're just, they're on the, the verge of, of closing they're like 40 50 members and they're just they're a bunch of farmers that really don't go very often and and they really need to be considered church plants and they don't have the resources to to raise somebody up from within but they got to get away from this hireling mentality that we're going to bring someone in and we don't like what they're doing so we're going to fire them and bring the next person in all right like. let's have a good argument here yeah Okay. So what did the church do back in the day when the church pretty much was made up of farmers? So I'm picking on you here, not, <clears throat> not about the well, farmers, but about yeah, but about they, the, the idea that that small community of 40 people can't develop their own leaders. Well, no, they sent someone, and that, an evangelist, mm -hmm. and an evangelist, then people got saved, and then people were disciples and raised up from there. Okay. And what I'm saying is that right now in a lot of rural communities, there's a lot of churches, mm -hmm. and I don't think there's many believers in a lot of them. Okay. But I, I agree I'll, with there, you. Yeah, Even though a, I agree with you, I still think it just sounds... There's, a, there's a lot of family churches, a lot of... Yeah. And, and they're, just, they're just hanging on, and mm -hmm. um, maybe they need to close... Well, and let, let me let me take us down a different scenario from the one you're kind of flirting with there. What about churches in not the West? Thank you. Yep. Was going to go there eventually. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. What, what about churches in uh, isolated areas of, of uh, Africa or Asia or Mongolia or areas where the church is under persecution? Or Canada. Or Canada. <laughs> yeah. Where the church is under persecution. Where the person, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, do they do global searches and partner with seminaries and blah, blah, blah? No, they have to keep it tight. They have to teach. They have to raise up. They have to do this or they do die. We're here in America in 2024, and it doesn't seem like it could ever come to that here, but it could. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, someday this tech could all go dark. Someday... 
you know, the systems that we rely on may not be there for whatever reason. Who knows? What do we do? The Western education was initially theological, right? Then developed into higher education as we know it. And then theological education just got swept up with that Mm -hmm. and became more and more professional, more and more separated from the local church. Get your bells ready. Having been a missionary in Japan. Ding, 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 ding. I'm sensitive to how Western our church is. And I love the Reformation. The church didn't start and end in the Reformation. The Westminster divines were not the be-all, end-all of the church. And there's the Western church and there's the Eastern church. And I'm not talking about Eastern Orthodoxy there, but I'm talking about all over the world. And God is at work. And we should, it seems to me, create a system of church replication and church leadership that does not depend on $30,000 a year external systems. Right. And that was one of the other reasons why the Bible college movement was losing interest to me was we were continuing to raise the price. Like when I went to Bible college, it was 8,000 a year. By the time I was done, it was $28,000 a year. And this is almost 20 years ago now. Thirty thousand dollars a year, and that sounds cheap, but guys were taking student loans out and then wanting to go into youth ministry where they were going to get back in the day paid fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and we they were lit, we were literally pricing them out of ministry. Yep, mine was tuition free because they believed in the ministry so yeah. much they didn't. Yeah. They still are tuition. No, free. I, that's a good thing. Are they really? It just uh-huh. costs a lot to live there. Yeah, I appreciate. I do appreciate that about your. Alma mater. I probably should, like, as an alumni, give back a little bit. You're supposed to, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not working out so hot. Not as much as I should. Uh, the average listener that's mm-hmm. that's hearing this, I mean, so far we've uh, we've hit the systemic uh, fixes, problems, and, and everything else pretty hard. What's the average listener to do? Should they march into their pastor's office Monday morning and, hey, I'm going to fix your wagon What's yeah, what that won't work too well? No, no. So I think they need to cultivate in themselves a hunger for the word of God. And and rather than um desiring the latest and greatest from the, the pastors preaching and teaching, they should desire the next verse, the next chapter, and they should come to expect that. And that would take so much pressure off the pastor. I know for me. When I'm invited to preach and I say, What do you want me to preach on? If I'm if if I'm told, you know, the next verse, that is so much easier than preach on whatever you want. When when I had the opportunity to do some preaching at our, at our church last year when we were without a pastor, there's this little sense, this little battle that you have going on that like you've got all these other men filling in and there's a sense where pride wants to come in and say, you got to give your best sermon each time rather than just like preaching on the next verse, Hmm. the next verse, the next passage. Um, There's this temptation to come in and try to, to, to make it the next great thing. And you battle against that. And that's a huge um, burden for the pastor every week to come up with a message to make it great for his congregation if the expectation, I would, never, I would never, I would never be able to do that, let alone want to do that personally. Right. Yeah, I've never, I've never actually thought about. I want to produce a great sermon. 
I don't know if that's just quirky. <clears throat> But 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 when that's the expectation that's put on, mm-hmm. you, no, I agree. Like I agree you, with you. You start yeah. to think like people expect that when people critique your sermon every week. Then in your preparation, you're like, "Well, I need to make sure that I answer so and so's questions, that I make it right for so and so. They're going to have these questions, mm. and all of that pressure in there, rather than just being able to faith faithfully preach the word of God as it comes up in Scripture as you're going through it." And for the congregation to realize that this is the authoritative word of God that you are teaching, and it has authority in my life, and I need to listen to it and obey. So it starts in the congregation with the listeners accepting and submitting to the authority of God's word. And somehow being able to communicate that to their pastor, that they're not looking for, they're not going to a five-star restaurant every Sunday. They're they're happy with a nutritious, healthy, good tasting meal. Right. Yeah. Bad metaphor, maybe. I don't know. I think it's a pretty decent metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. They're not they're not expecting their pastor to compete with. Yeah. And, insert your favorite speaker. And yeah. and so, Ray Comfort's an evangelist that I really enjoy, and uh, one of the things he talks about is reading your Bible every day and the importance of that. And he tells people who may have made a profession of faith and he never, he, he never says, okay, you prayed this prayer. Now you're a believer. Mm-hmm. What he'll say is, do you, do you have a Bible? If you do read it, get a Bible, read it, read it every day, listen to it and obey it. And he'll say this, he'll say, do you remember what you ate last month on a Monday, the third Monday of the month? People say no. And he'll say, did you benefit from it? Of course you did. And you need to be in church every Sunday listening to the Word of God. You'll benefit from it. Mm. Pastor may not have hit a home run with a sermon, but you're going to benefit from it mm. um, if he's if he's faithfully teaching the Word of God. I mean, we could get into a list of practical things you could do for your pastor, and that I mean that would be appropriate at one level. And maybe I'm jumping too soon, but what are some of the personal responsibilities that the pastor has? to ensure that they don't get to this point where they're, I'm ready to quit the church. And one one author in that list that you that we read through kind of hinted that, you know, he quit the church, but now that's turning into a kind of a way to make a living is by being the guy who quit the church and write mm-hmm. about that. And I, and I thought, wow, well, I saw the comment in that one. And uh, I was like, ooh, little. Yeah. But, but at some level, what is the, like, what is the responsibility of the pastor to, if nothing else, have some self-awareness to know what's going on, know where they're getting at, and then not let themselves get to the point where they're that lonely. Yeah, I think that that's a very, very important question, too, because there is a certain level of responsibility that a, a, a pastor has to to know themselves mm-hmm. and know these warning signs and, you know, have some escape hatches, some ways to you know, uh, get accountability and, and, and get out of some of these situations. Yes. The congregation has a responsibility to protect the pastor. The pastor has a responsibility to protect himself as well. And, and maybe part of the reason why that situation is existing, that's causing this loneliness is he's not creating that leadership development where he's not mentoring into elders and developing these deep friendships 
with those people in the congregation. And I'm not blaming anybody for any of this. I'm not saying right. this is all because there's so many issues and like I've never walked through it myself. So, yeah. but just sitting back watching and going, okay, you're saying I got nobody got close to me, and it's possible that he tried. Yeah, I, but I I can't help but think that if you're pouring yourself into discipleship relationships, that you're going to develop those if you open yourself up to it. Yeah, that. There's a there's a closeness that can develop. Now, again, it's a hundred percent possible for that attempt to be made in a church to be like, no, that's we we brought you in for your two year stint and we're expecting you to leave. So no, right? Because mm-hmm. if you create that situation, what are people going to do? I mean, you were even talking about it last time, I think, Craig, where you create this, or even just earlier, you create a system where you're cranking through the meat grinder pastor church. And now you've been in that situation and all you know is that this guy's coming in and his family and you don't want to get close to him because they're out of here in two years. So I'm not going to, and second time, third time, fourth time, at at some point you're going to go, I'm done. I'm done trying to give myself to this person in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I get there's that stress too. But in terms of the personal responsibility of the leader, it seems to me that it seemed like a little bit of a cop-out mm-hmm. to say nobody would get close to me. And yeah. Again, I don't know a situation, so. Right. But that seems to be kind of what some of those other articles are saying, too, is that if you if you really are saved, you'll persevere. I'm just kidding. Sorry, oh my. take that out. <laughs> that was a Paul Washer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know you like dogging on Paul Washer. I actually like Paul Washer. You know, but I just, I just, do you know why I'm saying that? Just because that one article that said, he has to come up with five new ways to get you to question your salvation. Oh, that the Babylon Bee article. The Babylon Bee article. Yeah. That's the yeah. only reason I'm saying the, that. It I, actually, I, I like Paul. my Facebook memories from 12 years ago. Paul um, Washer quote. It was a Paul Washer quote. <laughs> How come I knew? People tell me, judge not lest you lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture lest ye be like Satan. That's, that's Paul the Washer. second or third time that you've quoted that. Yeah, I love that podcast. One. It's a good quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I'm all I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, as long as you question now, your salvation th- once a day. <laughs> this one's for your dad. Okay. 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 How many go. pastors does it take to change a light bulb? Mm. I don't know, Greg. How many pastors does it take to change? Three, a one to change it, and two to pray against the powers of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Dad. I hope you enjoy that one. I like that one. That was I good. Think one. You're gonna like that one, Dad. That was good. Okay. I'll let me know, and I'll tell Greg. Excellent. Love you, Dad. Uh, so, yeah, some of the other uh, some of the other big points that were that were pointed out in the public scrutiny, polarization or conflict, mm-hmm. uh, unrealistic expectations, and lack of safe personal care by congregation by the congregation. Right. I, I think two of them, public scrutiny and polarization and conflict, those are really really front and center these days. Mm-hmm. It's it's really easy to get bogged down into a lot of different conflicts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, these days at a local church or otherwise. I mean, politics is everywhere now. Uh, it's like Canada down here. I will get a co- contact from HR for calling out our diversity hire. But I mean, it's 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 easy to get bogged down both into like national politics uh, with the old TDS <clears throat> kicking in, um, or uh, just even local church politics, right? And you, you kind of want a pastor that's that's above all that. And yet... And yet, at some point, 
the problem is, it seems to be anyway, that the issues that are political are theological. Yeah. And that's where the challenge is because you go, oh, we want to be a non-political church. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's say let's be a nonpartisan church. Mm-hmm. But when when the issue is abortion, yeah, or the issue is sexuality, now you're talking about deeply moral issues that are theological first and political second. Yep. And I think that's I think there's still a lot of Christians that haven't figured that part of it out yet. Yeah. And so I would like to, I just thought of it as I'm sitting here when I said it, I would like to be a nonpartisan church. We don't wholesale say, hey, you should vote for party X or party Y, but rather as the scriptures deal with them, if you're in Genesis 3 or Genesis 1, excuse me, Mm -hmm. and 2, you're going to deal with marriage and you're going to deal with, God created male and female. And you can say that's being political, but that's fundamental to who we are as people, how God made us to be. And so we I don't think we have the option of not talking about that because it's a political issue. Right. And so I think the the problem is there's still people in the church who I don't think they really realize how deeply theological these issues are. Right. And so they're just saying, Oh, you're talking politics from the pulpit. Mm. You can call it that, but I'm, I think we're talking theology and deeply important worldview concepts that mm-hmm. are foundational to godliness. And yeah. so, boy, I went on a rant there. Sorry. No, that's okay. And I don't feel strongly about that at all. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, division can be can be hard to navigate. Greg, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the issue? I'm not talking like... Um, Republican Democrat stuff, how much of the budget should be spent fixing the roof kind of stuff. This is the sort of silly thing that can really consume a, a church and just kind of take over yeah. everything. Um, oh, like color of carpet and things like yeah, that. Okay. It, yeah, important things. It's crazy what people choose to fight about. Church shouldn't go in debt. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be borrowing money. You have to take care of what you have. That's a pretty good deal. But... um what people, the preferences that people choose to fight over are just insane. I wish people, I remember sitting at a business meeting once, debate, he listening to people, you know, this motion is now open for debate, and they debated this issue. And I don't know how long it went on before somebody who understood Robert's rules of order, and I wish I had understood it earlier because I would have called the question to order or whatever they did to make us vote on it. And they did that and it finally ended the debate. And I thought, I wish these people had the passion to sit and listen to a sermon the way that they have a passion to debate these issues. Really. I it does wish, show priorities. It does. Mm-hmm. I wish they got as fired up about being in church on time so that they can greet newcomers I wish they were as passionate about being there to be an encouragement versus complaining about the carpet. Or I wish they would just pick up a hammer and fix the thing rather than making a list and showing up to to point out everything that's wrong. Yeah, that sounds like the top 10 what not to do list. 
I could see why a church full of people like that would drive people out of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also see how the system can create people like that because you've you got to get it done now because he's leaving in two years. So let's get it done before he leaves. Right. Yeah. So the next guy can, who will be perfect. Well, and it does feed on itself, right? Because <laughs> this one will be perfect because we're picking him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this this does feed on itself too because you know the 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 discussion that we're having about you know the carpet or the roof or or you know I'm sorry, what was that? A roof? A roof? How do you how do you spell that word? R u f f roof. I've I've always spelled it R O O F. Okay, you said it R U F F, but. Roof. Roof. How do you say roof? I don't know what Dave's smoking. I don't know either. Yeah. Must be a Michigan thing. It's a missionary kid thing. What about Canada? Do they say roof in Canada? He thought I said luff. No, no, no. (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) Good callback. Um, Now, what do they say in Canada? They call it roof? These are important discussions. Yeah. So anyway. Maple syrup and... Below, it's above the ceiling. It's the sky roof or roof. <sighs> so <clears throat> disappointing. So speaking refuses of refuses to get involved. It's what Bill Clinton puts in your drink. Roofy. Oh, you say so. You say roof. No, I just was that was bad. Looking for more material for that the, was really bad. For the editing room, room for floor. the cutting room yeah. floor. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of conversations and debates that. Don't go anywhere and don't really prove anything. <laughs> yes. The roof, roof. <laughs> yes. Uh, so these these people that get all worked out about the roof, about the carpet, about the wood trim, and all these other things, they're like that because they haven't been poured into, mm-hmm. because the pastors don't stay long enough, because they're coming from the outside, because there's nobody qualified inside. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's too shallow, because the pastors don't stay long enough, because they come from the outside, and so on and so forth. Right. What do you call that? A self, a self-reinforcing loop or yeah. self-feeding system? Something I'm sure. Yeah. A feedback loop. That's the there word we, we were looking for. It's a feedback loop. <laughs> oh, I can make one. Hold on. No, no thanks. Okay, please don't hurt our ears. We'll <laughs> yeah. send them through the rough. That's right. <laughs> So our personal thing, list of favorite solutions to this, for me, it reinforces my desire to help my pastors succeed, help them, befriending them, help them succeed, help them feel encouraged, spur them on to teach the word in season and out, help them in any way can do that. That's my resolution. We're recording this four days into the year 2024. We're all still thinking about which New Year's resolutions we can make and break right away. Although that's one I'm sure you'd follow through on. Yeah, I don't really make resolutions though. Yeah, you're a, you're a resolution Grinch. I am. I'm a, I have aspirations, but I don't do resolutions. New Year's aspirations. <laughs> yeah, somebody was saying that. <laughs> nice. No. If I can't make it into a habit and a system, then I don't. All right. Any closing thoughts? Anything we missed, didn't hit, should hit a little bit more. Pray for your pastor. And seek a mentoring. If you're not mentoring someone or being mentored by someone or both, mm-hmm. you're probably not. Yeah, I think I think it's best when you're getting both, when you're doing both. Agree. 
uh, where you're being mentored and mentoring someone else. I did a presentation at, it was a secular workplace, but I did a presentation one time about mentoring and I had three different slides. And the first slide was uh, the Dead Sea and it was all, you know, getting dried up and really shallow. And I said, this is an example of a body of water where there's more water leaving than is coming in. Mm. And I showed a picture of a swamp. I said, this is an example of a body of water where more water is coming in than is going out. Mm. And, you know, you have this kind of mm-hmm. stagnation. It can't go anywhere and it just kind of builds up and gets all marshy. And then I had a picture of Torch Lake. Oh, nice. And I said, explain Torch Lake to our listeners. Oh, Torch Lake is a beautiful place in the state of Michigan. And the cool thing it's about that. Not too far from <clears throat> our beautiful state of wherever we are. Yes. Yeah. State of bliss. So, but uh, Torch Lake, uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful bodies of water in the United States. And that's not even It's article. not an exaggeration to say it's, it's not. almost Caribbean blue water. <clears throat> it really is. And the reason it is like that is because it's fed by a very rich water table to the north. The water empties into Torch Lake and then there's a river out of Torch Lake. Just about the same amount is coming out as going in. And that's my mentoring example. If you have too much going out, you're going to dry up. If you have too much coming in, you're going to stagnate. If you have a balance where you're being mentored and you're mentoring someone else, this is your Torch Lake mentoring experience. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the gate on that one, man. That was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Picture it in your minds, everyone. Yeah. This is a audio medium. But But it was very visual. Yeah. 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 Good visual picture. So I just said visual picture. Isn't that a redundancy? All right. Anything else? Happy New Year, y'all. Yes. That's... This is a timeless episode, dude. We don't do Happy New Year. You know, I guess we could do topical things in a timeless episode. Yeah. Those idiots in Congress did it again. <laughs> yeah. That, that's easy. that's timeless. That's pretty timeless. Yeah. That's, a, that's a daily occurrence. You listen to that anytime and you'd yes. be like, oh, and that's just yes, fundamental to all politics. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at Catfish Ministries. We hope you learned something with us and maybe had a laugh or two while you're at it. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you really like what you heard and want to help us make more of these, look us up on buymeacoffee.com. We can't wait to talk to you again next time. This is Chad for Greg and Dave signing off and saying, remember, America, it's always a great day to get catfished. Catfished.